Pastor Stephen Cole, who's a pastor at Flagstaff Christian Fellowship in Arizona, told the story about a doctor from Texas. Uh, this, this doctor owned a home in Mexico, and he felt sorry for the poor people in Mexico, many of whom were often sick because they did not pasteurize their milk, and they were getting sick from the milk. And so he bought them a pasteurizing machine. And the villagers built a special shed to house the machine. They had a big village-wide celebration when he brought it down, he installed it for them. And a few months later, when the doctor returned, the leading man of the village greeted him and said, Oh, doctor, it's good to see you. If we'd known you were coming, we would have plugged in that pasteurizing machine. And we chuckle at the story, but it really does describe the way that many Christians use their Bibles, they express their faith, they know the truths of the Bible, what would be good for them, but they only plug it in for special occasions or when they're troubled or when they think somebody is watching and the, the rest of the time it's as useless as an unplugged pasteurizing machine. The pasteurizing machine only benefits, benefits you if you plug it in and actually use it to pasteurize the milk. The wonderful doctrine of justification by faith that we've been looking at in this entire chapter and that Paul has been hammering home to us was not written just as a quaint history lesson about some guy named Abraham who lived thousands of years ago, but Paul says it was written for your sake. God will credit the righteousness of Christ to your account the instant that you believe in him. Jesus' resurrection from the dead affirms this as true. And so in verses 23 through 24 of Romans chapter 4, Paul concludes this chapter by answering an important question, an implied question here. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? Now, for those who come from a Bible-believing evangelical church like this, the, the answer is pretty straightforward. But as we've seen in the past few weeks, it's not as straightforward for the majority of Christians, let alone the majority of, of people in America today. Uh, this past week, there was kind of a Facebook controversy, nothing new with that, but uh, this had to do with some intriguing videos that people were posting on, on Facebook and on the internet that had to do with those little cylinder boxes that you place on your table and you ask questions like to Alexa or to, to Google. They're connected to your Wi-Fi. And uh, even these videos that were being posted, they even talked about them on CNBC and some of the major networks and stuff. But you ask the question and it answers it for you. Alexa, what is the temperature? The temperature in Emmett, Idaho is 34 degrees, in a woman's voice, it'll answer. In one of the videos I watched, a man asked, Alexa, who is the prophet Muhammad? And Alexa responded, I'll try to read it like Alexa did, said it. The prophet Muhammad is a very wise prophet who taught many people. She had a, he had a wife named Aisha. He lived in Saudi Arabia. The message that he gave to all the people was to pray to the one true God, Allah, who is the only true God, and he gave the holy cord. Then the man asked, Alexa, who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is a fictional character. <laughs> and there was all kinds of debate on the internet whether this really happened or not. But there was another lady who, who uh, put one on, and she, she put two on. One where she asked certain questions and then with the Google Assistant. And, and then I didn't have a chance to watch the other one, but apparently Google tried to fix some stuff. But it was this. 
A woman asked Google, hey Google, who is Allah? And there was a long extended audio answer. She asked, hey Google, who is Buddha? And Google answered with a long answer. Hey Google, who is New Age? Google answered, hey Google, who is Jesus Christ? Google answered, sorry, I don't know how to help you with that yet. Hey Google, who is Jesus? I'm sorry, I'm sure, I'm not sure how to help. So I have a smartphone, and it has the same Google on it that the, the assistant has. And, uh, you know, so, so I decided I'm, I'm going to ask Google some questions. And uh, we wouldn't expect the world to give us the right answers anyway, but it's interesting to know what Google is thinking. So I did wonder, because this was the title of my, my sermon, what is a Christian? See what the answers is. So I experimented with Google a little bit, and I asked Google, okay, Google, what is a Christian? And it gave me the dictionary answer. And uh, apparently, you know, on the Google smartphone, it also gives you links to web pages, which you don't get with the virtual assistant, because all they can say is, I don't know. But uh, what is a Christian? Number one answer, adjective, relating to or professing Christianity or is its teachings. Number two, a noun, a person who has received Christian baptism or as a believer in Jesus Christ and his teachings. I thought the word or there was interesting because the majority view of Christians of Christianity is that baptism makes you a Christian. But I really was intrigued by the first sentence in Wikipedia because of a particular person mentioned. It said, a Christian is a person who follows or adheres to Christianity an Abrahamic monotheistic religion based on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, I thought that was really interesting that they defined a Christian as one who, among other things, adheres to an Abrahamic religion. Because as the Apostle Paul shows us in Romans chapter 4, because unlike other Abrahamic religions, what would the other Abrahamic religions be? Judaism and... and uh, and uh, Islam, that a Christian personally applies, we see this in Romans chapter 4, a Christian personally applies the lesson of Abraham's faith so that the righteousness of Christ is credited to him or her. Applies Abraham's faith. So please turn once again to Romans chapter 4, verse 23. The fourth chapter of Romans, the 23rd verse, page 1384 in your Bible, speaking of Abraham. Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now the first thing we see that in order to be a Christian, our faith must be personal. It must be personal. It wasn't just for Abraham's sake that it was written, that faith was credited to him as righteousness. Look at verse 24 again. It was for our sake also, our sake also. You can't be declared righteous based on Abraham's faith or your parents' faith or your mother's faith or your kids' faith or anybody else's faith. It has to be based on your own personal faith. It has to be what you believe. We can see this in the text by the fact that Paul uses the pronoun our, O-U-R, four times. For our sake also... Jesus, our Lord, our transgressions, our justification. These truths must be ours personally. They must be yours personally. As C.S. Spurgeon, the, the great preacher of the 19th century, pointed out, 
You can never truly say our Lord until you have first said my Lord. If Jesus is Jesus your Lord because you have personally trusted in him for eternal life. And Paul's point is that this chapter about Abraham and his faith is not just some kind of history lesson. We need to apply it personally to our own lives or to our own faith. The Bible was written so that we first would understand it and then that we would apply it. And so the story of Abraham is for our sakes as well. And the question is, has the righteousness of Christ been credited to your personal account? You go to the bank and you have personal accounts. They're not going to take money from somebody else's account and put it in your account unless it's a mistake. And when it comes to faith, nobody's going to put anything into your account. Have you personally put your faith in Christ alone, trusting God to credit Christ's righteousness to your account? And if you have not done that, you are not a Christian in the most basic sense of the word. A Christian personally believes in Jesus Christ. What is a Christian? A Christian personally believes in Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul shows us that to be a Christian means that our faith must be like the faith of Abraham. He is the example. He is the model. So this brings us back to the nature of saving faith that we looked at last week with Abraham. Paul's emphasis here, talking about Abraham, is on the, the continuity and the similarity of Abraham's faith with our own. Our, our saving faith, in order to be saving faith, must be like Abraham's saving faith. It's not a different variety. It's not a different flavor. It's not a different faith for a different time in history. It must be like Abraham's faith. Uh, look at verse 12 of this fourth chapter for a moment. The twelfth verse of the fourth chapter. Paul said in verse 12 that we must, quote, follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. And then in verse 16, he says that we are to be, at the last of verse 16 there, of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham believed God's promise, and so should we. So based on Abraham's faith, what is our own saving faith supposed to look like? How do we follow in his steps? Well, let's look at those steps a little bit as we kind of review a little bit here. In Abraham's case, his faith was in God's promise to give him a son through Sarah, to give him the land, to make him the father of many nations, and to bless the nations through his seed. These promises were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but Abraham died in faith without receiving the promises. Now, in our case, as we follow in the steps of Abraham, we look back to God's promise, back to the cross, to justify sinners who believe in Christ. Now, also, Abraham's faith believed God's promise in spite of circumstances. Remember that? Circumstances that seemed to be to the contrary. He and Sarah were both beyond the years when they could physically con conceive children, it required a miracle for God to fulfill his promise, but in hope against hope, Abraham believed. Now, as we look at our own hearts and we realize how sinful we have been or sinful we are and how inclined towards sin we still are, it seems impossible for God to save us. But like Abraham, we must believe God's promise in spite of circumstances that seem to the contrary. Abraham also believed that God is able to give life to the dead and to call into being that which did not exist. In Abraham's case, 
He and Sarah's bodies were dead. They were as good as dead. They were incapable of conceiving a child. Later, Abraham's faith focused on God raising Isaac from the dead. It says in Hebrews that, uh, that when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and of course God wasn't going to let Abraham go through with that, but Abraham didn't know that. It says that Abraham believed God could raise the dead. He was going to do that. In our case, we must believe that God raised Jesus bodily from the dead. And we must believe that every time God saves a soul, he is giving life to the dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead. And when we are saved, God calls into being that which did not exist. In other words, the new birth, being born again, is a miraculous life-giving event. Everybody, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and is saved, it's, it's a miraculous thing. Also, Abraham's faith grew strong and gave glory to God, being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Even so, our faith in Christ must grow stronger as we study God's word. We learn more of God's attributes and his ways. And we don't give glory to our strong faith, but we rather, we give glory to our strong God. Our faith should point others to him because he is faithful. Our faith should not ever point to ourselves right? Thus, our faith must be personal. It must be like the faith of Abraham. And thirdly, our faith must have specific content. That is, what do we believe in? Our faith must have specific content, namely, what Scripture reveals about God, what it says about sin, what it says about Christ, what it says about salvation. Saving faith is not believing in whatever makes sense to you regarding God, sin, Christ, and salvation it has to be believing the truths that are revealed in Scripture in God's holy word. So turn over to Romans chapter 10, of chapter 10 of Paul's letter to the Romans for a minute. The 10th chapter, beginning at verse 8. Because Paul, in the 10th chapter, answers the question, what do we believe if we're truly saved? In other words, what is the content of saving faith? What are the essential truths? And in Romans chapter 10, Paul is once again talking about the righteousness based on faith. In other words, what is the belief or what is the faith by which God credits righteousness to your account? Verse 8 of Romans chapter 10, Paul is quoting God's word and he says, But what does it say? In other words, what does the Bible say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we are preaching. And here it is, what is the word of faith, this is what you are to believe, this is the content of saving faith, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Back in chapter 4 of Romans, Paul put it this way, But for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Those who believe in him, believe in God, who raised Jesus. Now in chapter 4 in our text, Paul says in verse 25, speaking of the death of Christ, Christ who is delivered over for our transgressions. 
Paul doesn't mention the death of Christ until the last verse of that chapter. And it begs the question, what makes the resurrection so important? Why does Paul talk about the resurrection of Jesus before he talks about the death of Jesus on the cross? Isn't he getting things backward here? Why does that have to do with the content of saving faith? These things don't keep you awake at night like they keep me awake. <laughs> you know, why, why the resurrection first? Well, the Gospel of John gives us a very important word. Turn for a moment back to John chapter 20, verse 31. Because John states his purpose for writing his gospel in John chapter 20, the 31st. Yeah, John chapter 20, the 31st verse. I think I may have misspoke on that one. Page 1334, if you use the Bibles in the rack. Paul is, or John is telling why he has written his gospel. Verse 31, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The important word that I want you to see is the word life. The word life. It's a certain kind of life. It's God's life. It's divine life. It isn't just quantitative, that is, the length of days, when we think of eternal life, what do we think of most? The length of days, that, it, that it's eternal. God gives life, he does give length of life, but it's also quantitative, and that means it's, or it's qualitative, that is, it's a certain kind of, of life. When you're saved, you receive a new kind of life. And what kind of life is that? It's the righteous life. It's the holy life. It's a life which has been credited to your account for righteousness. It's a life which you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Jesus called it the abundant life. And all of this is an affirmation in the deepest part of man, in the deepest part of who we are. And, and, and it really can't be described any more than that, that faith is an affirmation in the deepest part of who we are, in the deepest part of who I am, that says, this is true. And I like the way John MacArthur put it. He said, I affirm it is true that Jesus died and rose again for my justification, and that he is the Son of God who paid the penalty for my sin on the cross, that if I receive him, he will give me righteousness and deliver me from my sin and from death and from hell. It's a deep down in the soul affirmation that this is true. This is what I believe. And he says, I can't give you any more of a formula than that. I know I believe it. Do you know you believe it? It comes from deep within me. Now, what is it you're to believe? What is it that deep down in the deepest part you have faith and you believe that? Paul says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness. What does he believe? Some say, well, I believe in believing. You hear that on so-called Christian TV. I have faith in faith. If you can just get enough faith and believe what you have faith for, then you're going to have it. And that's, that's totally ridiculous. We're not talking about believing in believing or believing in faith or believing in nothing or believing in whatever you want to believe in. Back to Romans chapter 10 again. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, qualifies it. Here's what you believe in the deepest part of your being. 
Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? When I was a kid, before Nissan was Dot, or before Dotson was Nissan, there was a commercial that come on. Dotson saves, saves what? Saves gas. Saves I don't know what it saves. I had to pay a big bunch of money for it. What does it save? At the same time, there were neon lights all over big, uh, large communities and large cities in the nation that said Jesus saves. Saves saves from what? What are we saved from? In fact, the word saved in the Greek means rescued. What are we rescued from? Well, we're saved out of the place of cursing, the Bible says. We're saved out of hell, and we're welcome into heaven. We're ushered into a place of blessing, that, that new life. We come out of darkness into light. And in order to be rescued, in order to be saved, you must believe. What do you believe? You believe deep down in your heart, in your inner person, as deep as you can reach for personality and for what is the most true in your mind and in your heart. And you say, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's it. But you might say, well, wait a minute. Paul, why this? There's so many other things. I have to believe that God is, right? I have to believe that God communicated to men in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures, don't I have to believe that God sent his son into the world, virgin born, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins? Don't I have to believe everything that, about Christ that leads up to the resurrection? Why does God isolate the resurrection out of all of this? It's very simple. Because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead proved that Christ was and did all he said he was and said that he would do. It validates everything else in faith. It's really the whole thing. The verification and proof and the validity of the ministry of Jesus Christ is the resurrection. He raised from the dead. That is the key. So I want to follow that along just briefly in Paul's letter to the Romans. Turn back to Romans chapter 1, the fourth verse. And while you're getting to the fourth verse, I want to you to look at a couple of things. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul talks about the gospel of God, the good news of, of saving grace offered in Christ. And, and then in verse 3, he says, concerning God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a fully, boy, what a full statement. God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We could preach on that and talk about that for, for Sunday after Sunday. Made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And then look at verse 4. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was declared the Son of God with power. And the question is how and by what did God declare who Jesus really is? What does it say? By the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The resurrection from the dead is the way that God fully, finally declared that Jesus was his son in an utterly incredible display of divine power and divine approval. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he was saying, this indeed is my son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, Christ had accomplished the work 
And the Father exalted him out of the grave, lifted him to his own right hand as an affirmation that indeed his work was done. And Hebrews chapter 1 says that Christ did what he did. He purged our sins and now he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high where even the angels are made his footstool. And Romans adds where he makes intercession for us. The resurrection of Christ was showing that Jesus had won the battle over hell. He won the battle over sin. He won the battle over Satan. He came out on the other side of the grave. All the enemy could do was stand and watch as he burst out of the grave. I remember back in the days when I was camp pastor one year at Cathedral Pines up by Sun Valley. And uh, Carmen, the Christian singer, was very popular at that time. And, and Carmen did a, a music video with a Christian song where it was showing the resurrection of Christ. But uh, it was a dramatized version. And, uh, you know, the... Satan thought he had won. The devils and the demons thought they had won. They had victory over Christ. And it was Sunday morning, and they were celebrating. They thought they had won. And then they hear 10, 9, 8. And they're going, that's going the wrong direction. That's going the wrong direction. And when you get to 1, the song burst into this glorious praise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He showed his power. He showed his victory. He showed that he indeed accomplished our salvation, won the battle, and the Father approved by receiving him to himself and setting him at his right hand. Now look at Romans chapter 4, verse 24 again. But for our sake also, to whom it will be credited... There's the righteousness again. The righteousness is given to us by faith. As those who believe, if we believe what? Into verse 24. Who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Verse 25. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification, on account of our justification. In other words, we must believe the resurrection because the resurrection proved that he accomplished our salvation on the cross. What happens if Jesus dies on the cross and never rises? Paul said we are with hope. If there's no resurrection, we are among most men to be most pitied. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he lost. He didn't purchase my salvation. He didn't conquer death. He didn't conquer sin. Sin killed him. Death killed him. Satan held him in bondage. If Christ didn't rise, there's no hope for anybody anywhere, anytime. But if Christ did rise from the dead, if God did lift him up, then he's done all his work. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin. He's conquered hell. He's conquered Satan. And is delivered and lifted and exalted because of that perfect work being accomplished. So what is a Christian? First of all, Christian personally applies the lesson of Abraham's faith and everything we've talked about so far. It has to be personal. It has to be from the heart. It has to believe the right stuff, as it were. It has to believe in the resurrection. You know, several years ago, uh, a mother of a, she was a 10 or 11-year-old daughter. She had a daughter who was 10 or 11. A mother in the church came to me, and, and I'd never heard this question before, and I'd never heard it since. But uh, the mom said, my daughter believes that Jesus died for her sins, and she wants to be baptized. And, oh, that's 
that's great. And then the mom said, but she doesn't believe in the resurrection. Yeah, how, would you, how would you answer that? You know, I kind of prayed about it to myself, and I wanted to, last thing I wanted to do is go over to Romans and say, hmm, you know, but, but I did what is standard pastoral practice in good practice. I said, let's start meeting together in baptism classes and see how it goes. And in those classes, we went over to Romans chapter 6, where water baptism is the picture of we are buried with Christ. And when we come out of the water, we are raised with him to walk in newness in a kind of life. And the Lord's word worked. By the time we got through that part, she believed in the resurrection. Because the resurrection was the affirmation of her faith. The affirmation. And secondly, what is a Christian? We're almost done and we got two brief points left. A Christian believes that God delivered over Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. We saw that in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions. A Christian personally appropriates the death of Jesus on the cross by paying the penalty for his or her sins. He died on the cross for you. Charles Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be, is considered to be one of the greatest hymns ever written. It may be the greatest hymn ever written. On account of the truth of God's word contained in its lyrics, the first verse goes like this. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And the last verse goes like this. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head, enclosed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And lastly, what is a Christian? The last part of the 25th verse, Paul reaffirms that a Christian believes that God raised Jesus bodily from the dead. Verse 25 again, he was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. And, and note carefully here that not everyone is justified. According to verse 24, Jesus' death only justifies those who believe in him, believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, this truth that God delivered Jesus to pay for our sins and raised him from the dead to affirm our affirmation will only save you if you personally believe it. Down in that deepest part of who we are. The pasteurizing machine only benefits you if you plug it in and actually use it to pasteurize your milk. The great doctrine of justification by faith that Paul has been hammering for an entire chapter and hammering home was not written, as we said, as a history lesson about some guy named Abraham who lived thousands of years ago and believes in improbable stuff. <laughs> it was written for your sake. It was written for my sake. God will credit righteousness to your account the very 
moment you believe in him. How do you know that's true? Jesus' resurrection from the dead affirms it's true. So why is a Christian? Forget Google. Forget Alexa. Forget Wikipedia. They came a little closer but didn't get it totally right. According to God's word, a Christian is a person who personally believes in God, who delivered over Jesus to pay for our sins and raised him from the dead to confirm our justification. And my prayer is that each one of us would believe that in our inner being. But I know that each one of us personally, we know whether that is true or not, don't we? Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, I prayed when we began this message that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding. Father, your word tells us that to each one of us, you have given a measure of faith. Father, we thank you for that measure of faith that you give us that we might believe, that you might start doing a work in our hearts and in our minds concerning Jesus. Father, I thank you that it's been the work of centuries now of bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, Lord, and, uh, and that you affirmed it by the, the resurrection. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to our hearts even right now, Lord. As we sing and thank an affirmation of the, the wonderful words of life that you have given us, so that we might have faith, so we might grow in faith, that we might walk in faith. And we ask this as we sing our hymn of invitation, Lord, that you would do your work. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.